Aloha. I'm an addict named Gina. Bear with me one sec. I want to thank God from the bottom of my heart for waking me up alive and clean and a member of Narcotics Anonymous. And I so want to thank the World Board for having a whole lot more faith in me than I have in myself. And thank you all on the NAS staff and the World Board and the local host committee and all of you who have volunteered. I have worked on convention committees before, and if you think it's easy mobilizing 8,000 of us who don't listen real well and follow direction very easily, and thank you all. And for those of you on the phone, you know, when I got the call and they told me which meeting, I said, oh, man, I can't do that meeting. I always cry at that meeting. And I was, and anybody who was watching me saw me up here blowing my nose. I'm okay with that. To those of you on the phone today, and a real special shout-out to some of my girls, but a, a more special shout-out to those of you in correctional facilities today. <laughs> to be where you are, to know that you can't physically be with us, and to be in your situation and still believe in your heart that staying clean is still the answer, that recovery still offers a better life than anything else. You are my hero today, and I thank you for your inspiration. And a prayer to all of those down on the Gulf Coast who need it and who aren't with us and who are with us in spirit. And the suffering that goes on sometimes in our lives does not mean that staying clean for another day is not worth it. I got here for one very simple reason. I had no place else to go. I started using when I was 11 years old. And at the same time that I began to use, I found... Another addiction, I lost my virginity at 11 years old. And overnight, I went from being somebody that you didn't know to being that girl that you wrote about on the bathroom wall. I was the girl that your mothers told you not to hang around with because they talk about you like they talked about me. I was the girl that you boys showed up at my house for one reason and one reason only, and you knew I was going to give it up. I was the girl that you called my mother and said, your daughter's a whore. And as much as I hated it, and as much as it hurt, I didn't stop it. Because I wanted to be loved so badly. I just wanted somebody to care about me just a little bit. And if you laid with me for a few minutes, I thought that made it all okay. And it took me a long time after coming into the rooms to forgive myself for having accepted sex for so long when I wanted love and I just didn't know the difference. I very often hear people say that their best thinking got them into Narcotics Anonymous. I'll tell you, I envy you. My best thinking never could have come up with a place like N.A. 
My best thinking at 15 years old was, why have you been giving it away for free? You know, people pay for this. I thought that was a sound business decision. So at 15, I took to the streets and became a prostitute. And I hear us sometimes say that when we began our addiction, we never knew where it was going to take us. I need to tell you, I always knew where it was going to take me because from the first time that I used, I knew I was going to go the whole nine. I was going to do it again and again. It wasn't anything about I wasn't going to go there. I was in and I was along for the ride because for the first time in my life, I found something that didn't necessarily take the pain away, but it made me numb enough that I just didn't care. I wasn't lucky enough to go to jail. My institution of choice was the flight deck. I went to those places where they took your luggage when you came in and they went through and they took your sharps away. They put paper slippers on you and you walked up and down the hallway doing the Thorazine shuffle. And I used to come in and out of those places periodically and you know, I never got locked up for being crazy. I always got locked up for acting crazy, and I knew the difference. I just didn't know how to stop the behavior. By the time I was 20 years old, I remember my last day out there. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but I'll tell you what it's like in New York. The worst day of the week to be an addict is a Sunday morning. It was a cold, rainy Sunday morning. I was huddled in a doorway, and I had nowhere to go. And for the first time, I couldn't put a word to it, but I felt the surrender of knowing that the war was over. I was tired, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And for those of you who are here today who are younger, who are seeing what I thought when I got here were a whole bunch of old people. Let me tell you, by the grace of God, I'm going to be 43 years old, and the only reason I'm going to be that age is because I haven't used and I've stayed in Narcotics Anonymous. So for anybody who's young, let me tell you, some of us were young when we got here. And we were privileged enough to stay clean and stay here, and I'm okay today being a middle-aged broad. When I came into Narcotics Anonymous in 1983 in New York, N.A. was very new. I didn't know what I was walking into, and I didn't realize that April 27, 1983 was going to be such a profound day in my life. Two things happened. One I knew, one I didn't. The one I didn't know about, it was on that day that the World Service Conference approved the basic test. And on my third day clean, I walked into my first N.A. meeting in Manhattan. You said, do you want what we have to offer? I don't know what kind of addict you are, but the kind of addict I am, I wanted to know what you had to offer up front, and I'd let you know if I wanted it. You told me... Don't use and make meetings, and I did that, you know, and my sponsor shares about it. i got to be honest with you, I didn't do a whole lot else you asked. I came late, I left early, I sat in the back, I didn't ask you for your phone number, and I hung with the men. I walked in here in dresses that barely covered my butt and fishnet stockings and stiletto heels. 
What did you expect when you walked off of the streets? Did you think that coming into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous and putting the drugs down, I was going to get that much better? Give the newcomer a break. Yes, I slept my way through the rooms. It was what I did. And I didn't know any better until some of you loved me enough to take me by the hand and tell me you don't have to do that anymore. And I am grateful for those of you who saw that I did not have the courage to get up and walk across that room and get a cup of coffee. I am grateful to those of you who saw that I did not have the courage to ask you for your phone number. We get so arrogant sometimes when we've been here a little bit and say, you know, if newcomers want my number, well, they need to be willing to come up and ask me for it. I need to tell you I didn't have the courage to ask you. I was someone who had been rejected my whole life, and I sure wasn't going to give you the chance to do it to me again. But there were people there who asked me for my phone number, and they called me. And I kept coming. I had about four and a half months, and I met a guy who had 87 days. And if you are unclear about this, let me absolutely assure you that two sickos do not make a wello. And as much as I've tried to disprove this theory many times, I have finally come to accept that recovery is not sexually transmittable. And I always tell the story the same way because I always want to tell a big lie about this wonderful relationship we had. The truth of the matter is that we had a one-night stand. And somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, I started planning our wedding. You know about that, right? You smile at me, I'm picking furniture out. And when he got up and left the next day, I never saw him again. And for the first time, I felt rejection, clean. And I didn't really know how to handle it. And I didn't have a whole lot other than some phone numbers and these meetings. But what I finally realized was that I don't believe that you can do Narcotics Anonymous cafeteria style. I don't believe that you can take what you want and leave the rest. There is a program laid out in 12 steps and 12 traditions, and you're either going to do it or you're not. It doesn't work if you work it. It works even if you don't work it. It just may not work for you. But I finally realized that I needed a sponsor, and I started to look for a man. I figured I didn't have a whole lot in common with you ladies. You were catty, you were bitchy, you gossiped, and you'd steal my old man in a heartbeat if I let you. And the reason why I thought that about you is because that's what I did to you. So I projected my behavior off of, onto every woman who crossed my path. And, you know, they say that when the student is ready, that the teacher will appear. A man in my home group took me on the side, and he told me something I'll never forget. He said, Gina, if you'd like to learn about men's problems, go talk to men. If you'd like to learn how to be a woman, you need another woman to teach you. Go get yourself a female sponsor. The 
sponsor that I got in October of 1983 is my sponsor today. And almost 22 years later, she is the longest continuous relationship that I have had in my entire life. I don't want to say too much nice about her because she's sitting here. I, I will tell you one thing. We spent a lot of good years in New York. She actually left New York and moved to Hawaii on December 27, 1993, but I don't want you to think I still have a resentment about it. Is she the best sponsor in the world? I'll tell you what. She's been the best sponsor in the world for me. She didn't give me any suggestions. She told me what to do, and I needed to be told what to do. There was no kinder, gentler, narcotics anonymous. I mean, if I had some inner child, I'll tell you, my inner child needed to have her ass whooped. I was a spoiled little brat who walked in here full of self-centered arrogance. And I needed somebody to take me by the hand, because when it talks in our literature about being reduced to the animal level of living, that was where I was when I got here. And I needed somebody to give me orders. There was a time when I came in where they used to say that if you thought about suggestions along the lines of if you were in an airplane and the pilot suggested that you put a parachute on as the plane was going down, you'd be okay. And I try to remember that suggestions today still have that same caliber. And at 22 years clean, I'm probably more willing to take suggestions now than ever before. And I need to remember why I have a sponsor, because I am not the top of the food chain. And I love you, Fran. Time went on for me in recovery, and uh, I grew up in a single-parent household, and I always wanted a dad, so when I had a year clean, I met him. When I had three years clean, I married him. He was a nice man, but we weren't a good couple, and I was very unhappy in that relationship. You see, we talk about in the basic text that social acceptability does not equal recovery and that this is an inside job. I didn't get what you meant by that. I was married. I was working. We had a house. We had a couple of cars in the driveway. We had a couple of bank accounts. Life looked good. And when I found myself at five years clean, curled up wanting to blow my brains out and not knowing why. And the answer in all of my times of desperation in recovery has once again that there is no simpler way. There is no osmosis. I wanted to get better for so long by holding service commitments, by sponsoring a dozen women, by hanging out with people with clean time, by knowing Robert's rules of order better than any of you so that I could take over a business meeting, by memorizing the basic text. And you know what? The only way to heal in here is to simply pick up a goddamn pen and a piece of paper and sit down and start to do the steps. And any time my ass has been in the sling, it's back to the steps. But like a good addict, I did not have the guts to leave that relationship until I had somebody else's bags packed, sitting by the door ready to move in when he moved out. So when I had all of my uh, ducks in a row and I had somebody else all lined up, I told my husband I wanted a divorce. And you know, it had been increasingly obvious to me for a long time through 11-step work that God's will for me 
was to be alone. And I didn't like that. Did you ever do that with God? Yeah, that's real nice, God. Let's do it my way now. In my experience, God always gets his way. The 11th step is about the choice. The choice is, is that through prayer and meditation, we work on accepting God's will, or you take a kicking and screaming, but either way, God gets his way. And God was telling me at 29 years old that it was time to start learning that I needed to take care of myself and I didn't need somebody else cemented by my hip to validate who I was. And I said, nice plan, we'll do it my way. So I asked my husband for a divorce and the man I left him for promptly turned around and left me for somebody else and God said, I told you. And you know what, for the first time I lived alone and it was okay. It really was. And when I finally got comfortable being who I was, you know, when our third step talks about just get out of the way and the miracles happened, I finally, this man came into my life and he came in a package that I never would have chosen. I had nine years clean, he had two and a half, a year and a half behind the walls of New York State Prison, so guys hang in there, man, it can get better, it really does. And he had a year and 11 days outside the walls. Why do I tell you a year and 11 days? Because he always has this dream that I'm going to stand up at a podium and tell you all that I picked on him as a newcomer. Now, let's be honest. That suggestion is nowhere in our literature. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in it. But I'm also going to tell you what a dope fiend I am, because if you really think there's a whole hell of a lot of difference between having a year and a year and 11 days. But, you know, sometimes players get played. And I thought I was a player. So I'm divorced, and I'm living alone for the first time, and I'm thinking this is kind of okay, but it's been a while, and, you know, I've been staying out of a relationship, and... Here comes this big old bad boy coming out of prison, and I thought, well, he looks like he'd be fun. My ex-husband and I sold the house, and I moved from a three-bedroom house into a three-room apartment, and he was one of the guys from N.A. who showed up to help me move. And he had a different agenda. He looked around, and he said, damn, she's got an apartment, she's got a, some furniture, she's got a couple of cats, she's got a job. I think I'll stay. Thirteen years later, he hasn't left. And I love you, David. I really do. For the first time in my life, I found somebody who loved me for exactly who I am and not in spite of me. And I'm going to tell the World Board something real quick, that you pay them the biggest homage uh, and honor, whether or not you know it. Most of the fellowship knows me as Gina B., and although I have legally been Mrs. David Skelton for the last 12 years, and before a lot of you freak out about that, personal anonymity in the 11th tradition is at the level of press, radio, and films. It's not in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. If I'm in the hospital, you are not going to call if you want to, you know, call me up and say, you know, little Gina from New York, the one with the dark hair, right? And Skelton, hello. 
But I stayed Gina B. in spite of being Mrs. Skelton for 12 years, and uh, that was my own little identity thing, you know. Uh, he had this problem with the B because Bianchini was actually my ex-husband's name. I don't know, testosterone gets you testy like that, doesn't it? <laughs> so with one little slip of the uh, keyboard, you've made David very happy. Gina S. <laughs> In 1993, David and I found out that we were pregnant. And when we got over the surprise, we actually started to look forward, and we were really happy. I was going into my fifth month. I was wearing maternity. I had this deli, and I was listening to this little heartbeat. We went into the OB one day, and he put the stethoscope down on my stomach and he moved it around and he moved it around and he finally shook his head and he pulled the stethoscope out of his ears and he said, I'm sorry, you don't have a heartbeat, your baby's dead. And in a moment, my world shattered. I walked out of that doctor's office and we stood in the parking lot and we cried and we cried. And he finally said to me, what do you want to do? And I thank God that in the program of repetition, you have told me repeatedly when I don't know what else to do, pick your ass up and go to a meeting. If your ass falls off, take it with you. Somebody will put it back on. And I said, please just take me to the meeting. And I went to that meeting and I sat there and I let you love me and I let you hold me and I let you tell me it was going to be all right, although it didn't feel all right at that moment. You know, my sponsor always talked to me about spiritual experiences, and what she explained to me they were was that feeling when you were in the right place at the right time, at the right moment, and that you were supposed to be there just when, and that feeling that comes over you when you know that you are exactly where God wants you to be. Three years before, a convention in Texas had asked me to come and speak, and unfortunately I had to work that weekend, and I said, if you ever think again, I'd be more than glad to come. I'd forgotten about them. I didn't hear from them. But when I came home from that meeting three years later, there was a message from that convention in Texas again asking me to please come down. And you know what? It didn't make everything okay, but it was just another reminder at the lowest point of my recovery that God reminds me all the time that if I don't give up and I hold on through the storms, that the miracles and blessings are still going to come if I just give it five more minutes and hold on to my chair and... tried for seven years to get pregnant. I went through three in vitros. I made 22 embryos. And the doctors finally told me it was time to stop. And I needed to accept that I wasn't ever going to have biological children. And I was so angry at God. I finally was doing some writing and my sponsor said to me, do you want to get pregnant or do you want to be a mother? And I had to sit and think about it. So I did some writing and I came back and I said, I want to be a mom. She said, getting pregnant isn't the only way to be a mom. So I finally became open-minded to adoption. I went to an attorney and I went to speak to him and he gave me a ton of paperwork and he said, 
oh, it'll be about a year, a year and a half, and probably around $25,000. And I came home, and I threw the papers in the kitchen, and I said, thank you, God, another brick wall. I have to tell you, my worst character defect is procrastination, and this is the first year that I've actually become open-minded to doing something about it. For the longest time in recovery, I truly believed in not doing anything I could possibly put off until tomorrow, next week, or even indefinitely was okay. So my husband was always getting pissed at me um, because I used to make plans and never tell him what we were doing until the last minute. I'll get to that in a sec. So we go to see this attorney on a Monday, and on Sunday he calls me up from work and he says, uh, there's this land auction going on up at this hotel. Come on, let's go see. So I said, all right. So we go on to this land auction, and we walk in there, and they've got those red rope stanchions, and as I walk up, they said, uh, where's your certified check? And I said, what certified check? And they said, oh, you have to have a certified check to get in here. And I said, well, your paper doesn't say you need a certified check. Tell an addict they can't get in someplace. Now, mind you, I'm not here to buy anything anyway. I'm here just to look because my husband wants to see what's going on. But if this is not my best moment in recovery. I am not practicing any principles. I am getting loud and making a scene until the man finally said, please come in, Mrs. Skelton. So I watched them. They auction off the first two parcels of land, and the third one comes up. And I see my husband all of a sudden. He's like raising his hand, and I'm looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? So I see his hand go up three times, and the next thing I hear is sold, and I got people pushing these papers in front of me, wanting me to sign my name, attesting that I'm going to pay them $100,000, and congratulations, you just bought five acres in nowhere New York. And I'm like, what the hell did you do? Somehow over the next week, I managed to get a loan on my 401k, and I managed to secure this land mortgage, and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? What do I need this land for, and why did you raise your hand? But two weeks after that, he comes home on a Saturday, and he walks in around 5 o'clock, and I said, I'm supposed to be speaking in New Jersey in an hour. And he's like, what? I said, I'm supposed to be speaking in New Jersey in an hour. God damn it, you and your procrastination, you never tell me anything. We get in the car, and we go out to New Jersey, and he is cussing me out the whole way down the Garden State Parkway. We finally get to the speaker jam. They're running about an hour behind. They had a basketball tournament, a fish fry. Everybody's hot. They're tired. Nobody cares what I have to say. I'm in an auditorium. There's no mic. Nobody can hear me. i got to tell you, they're knocking each other out to get out the doors. And I'm thinking to myself, God, why am I here? For the first time ever, I shared at a podium that I'd become open-minded to adoption. And a man I had never seen before walked up to my husband and said, there's a young addict in our area who's pregnant. She just got out of rehab, and she's looking to place the baby. Can I give you her number? I need to get home tomorrow night so I can get back to New York on Tuesday. On Wednesday, my son Connor starts kindergarten. And I learned so much about unconditional love from this teenage addict who loved this child she had never seen enough to give him an opportunity that she knew that she couldn't offer. And in exchange, she made me a mom.
For the longest time, I sat in these rooms and I heard you talk about just for today, live for the moment, tomorrow's not promised. And I repeated it, but I didn't internalize it. Until about four years ago this week, it was a beautiful late summer Tuesday morning in New York, and I was sitting in my office a little before 9 o'clock drinking coffee, reading my email, and minding my business. My sister-in-law called me, and she said, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, how did he miss it? I walked down to the south end of my building and I watched the first tower burn while I watched the second plane come around and slam the second south tower. And it was at that moment that I realized that I'm stuck on an island that's being attacked. I made my way back to Grand Central and my husband works for the railroad. I saw one of the guys and I said, please, I need to get out of here. He said, just get over to track 27. I got on that train not even knowing where it was going and not really caring at that moment. And when we finally got out of the city, the conductor made an announcement that we were the last train to leave. The Grand Central had officially closed. But you know what? On that day, 3,000 other regular Joes like me got up and went to work and didn't make it home. And I finally, after 18 years, understood what you meant by just for today. I finally understood what you meant, that every day wasn't promised, that tomorrow may not come, and how to live life to the fullest, that all of the petty bullshit that I think is so important, all of the petty ridiculousness about money problems and relationship problems and who said what about me and who talked to who and who's going with... It is so unimportant. This isn't a dress rehearsal. I have become today one of those people that I used to laugh at. I have become one of those people that I used to look at and think, why the hell do you want to get up in the morning and go to work? Why do you want to get up in the morning and, 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 you know, pay your bills? Why do you want to have the family? Why do you want to keep your house clean? Why do you want to be responsible? Why? Because I put my head down on the pillow at night and I don't have any noise in my head. You have allowed me to come all the way back. The greatest gift that Narcotics Anonymous has given me has been the ability to live comfortably inside of my own skin and be okay being who I am. It has gotten nothing but better for the last 22 years, and I sold myself short. I copped short for a long time. I don't want to cop short, and here I have no reason to believe that it isn't just going to keep on getting better from here on in. Do I have another run in me? Maybe. I don't know. Why would I give up what I have and chance it? Why would I give up my life as I know it today? I have watched too many of us think that they had another shot and have an everything must go sale. And I am not willing to have an everything must go sale. I have worked too damn hard for what I have today. For those of you who are here, who are new, who have no idea what's going on, you have no idea why you're here, 
Let me tell you, I do not believe that normal people, whoever they are, wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I think I'll go to an NA meeting tonight. If you're here, there's a reason. I strongly suggest that you give it 90 days. And if you don't like what we have to offer at the end, you can pick your misery back up at the door on your way back out again. But for those of you who are here, keep coming back. Starts getting a little trite. Because there's been a lot of us who have kept coming back and kept coming back and thought we were going to get the chance to keep coming back one more time. So if you're here, please simply stay. I have had the privilege and the honor of being asked to carry the message of Narcotics Anonymous to thousands of people around the world, and it's an honor that I don't take lightly. But one day when I'm gone from here, it's more important to me that you remember me not so much for the things that I've said, but for how I've lived. It is my sincere hope today to be a kind, loving, and gentle woman, and not just to act that way to your face and stab you when you turn around, because I can do that too, but to be a kind, loving, and gentle woman, and I hope for anyone that I've had any encounters with during the weekend that you have walked away with a feeling of love from me, because I know what I put out is what I get back, and I want a lot of love. Narcotics Anonymous has taken me beyond my wildest dreams, and for those of you who are here on the phone who can't see, 8,000 recovering addicts in downtown Waikiki, can you imagine? I am someone who could not get off of the block. I could not get out of my apartment. You have given me more than I have ever dreamt possible. And I'm going to leave you with the story that I always close with. And if you've ever heard me share, I'm sorry. I always close with it. There was a woman who wanted to learn all that there was to know. So she went up into the mountains and she found a guru. He gave her a pile of books and he said, you study, I'll be back. So he came back a few days later and he said, have you learned all that there is to know? And she said, no. And he picked up a heavy wooden cane he was leaning on and he whacked her over the head with it. And this went on for some time. He would come in, he would ask the same question, he would get the same answer and he would do the same thing. He came in one morning and he said, have you learned all that there is to know? And she said no. And he raised the cane to strike her and she reached out in midair and she grabbed it. And she was scared. She didn't know what he was going to do. He put the cane down and he smiled and he said, congratulations, you've learned all that you need to know. You have finally accepted that you will never learn all that there is to know, and you have learned how to stop the pain. And I believe that that is the message that you give me on a daily basis in Narcotics Anonymous. I'll never learn all that there is to know, 
but at least hopefully today I'm not recreating that same old pain. If no one else has told you today that they love you, please let me be the first to tell you from the bottom of my heart that I love you and God loves you also. I hope that you had a wonderful weekend filled with peace and serenity. And before you leave, if there's anyone to whom you owe an amends, make it. If you have a resentment, let it go. If someone doesn't know that you love them, tell them. This is our opportunity to cleanse and grow. And I hope that I have left this place a little better than I found it, as you taught me to do. If anyone out there ever asks you how Narcotics Anonymous works, you let them know. How does it work? It works just fine. I hope that you had a wonderful convention. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for having me share. And mahalo. Let's thank Gina again for a great message. Thank you. So, aloha, everybody. I'm Tom, and I'm an addict. Okay, we're going to start the clean time countdown. We're going to have um, Sharon and Bob W. come up here. They're members of the support committee. And, um, you know, and I just want to say real quick, and this, this to me, you know, I, I attended the first Narcotics Anonymous meeting here in Hawaii, you know, about 32 years ago, and, and it happened about two or three hundred yards over here. And it's like, you know, so when this thing first started coming together, you know, you know and I'm sitting here, I'm watching all these people pouring into this room, and I'm thinking about the seven members who sat in that room for the first time, and, and you know what, a bunch of them are still clean. You know, and it's just, I can't tell you the pride, the joy that I have today, because, um, you know, we would never thought this would ever happen. Thank you all for coming. Follow instructions. Jim and Tom, take the podium, sit down, you guys go.